0: Well, good morning, everyone, and thank you again. Thanks to Tim and to Drew for inviting me here this morning. And thank you for the really warm welcome that I've already had uh, here this morning. I'm going to be reading from Psalm 90. uh, So if you do have a Bible, then please do turn to Psalm 90, and we'll read God's words together, and then I'll pray. So let's read Psalm 90. And the psalmist says this, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you'd formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight, or but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood, They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed, in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are seventy, or even by reason of strength, eighty. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Please feel free to keep your Bibles open and uh, let's pray and ask for God's help. Father God, we thank you that you are the infinite God beyond time and space. And Father, as we approach you this morning, we pray that we would come with hearts that are full of worship and praise to you. For because you are so glorious and infinite and beyond our comprehension, yet, Lord, you are near to us. You draw near to us through the person of Jesus. And so we thank you, Lord Jesus, for your love for us. We thank you, Father, for sending Jesus into our world. And we thank you for the power of your word. We thank you that it is powerful that you do speak to us through it. And so we pray, Lord, this morning, please would you speak to us by the power of your word. Would you challenge us and comfort us? Would you help us to see uh, the Lord Jesus in your word? We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder what you would do if I gave you the opportunity this morning to go back in time, to jump into a time machine and go back to any point in the past that you like. Uh, There was actually an article that I came across a couple of weeks ago which posed this exact question. What would you do if you had the opportunity to go back into the past? And there were a number of different responses uh, in the the comments below. Uh, I'll just read a few of them, a little sampling of them to you. So one person said, I'd like to go back to Dallas, Texas in 1963 on that fateful day when JFK, the president, was shot And they said, I'd like to figure out what really happened on that day. So there's a bit of a conspiracy theorist there. Another person said, I'd like to go back 80 million years in the past to the time when the dinosaurs roamed the earth. Because I'd really like to see what they were actually like. But then he went on to say, but my suspicion is I'd get there and I, I wouldn't be able to find any dinosaurs. Or if I did, it'd be good for about 10 minutes. And then I'd realize that dinosaurs are just animals and animals are incredibly boring. So maybe he's underestimating really how thrilling it would be to see a dinosaur. But that's one response. But the final one was one that was actually tinged with sadness. This person said, if I could go back in time, I would kiss my granddad goodbye and let him know how special he was to me. I wonder what you would do if you could go back in time. Maybe you would go, go back 10 or 20 or 30 years into your past And maybe work harder in school or in university and get those grades that you knew you were capable of. Or maybe you you would go back and, and change a major life decision or change a relationship. And as interesting as it is to think about and consider all of these different possibilities, the reality is that we live in a world where time travel is impossible. It is still very much in the realm of science fiction. And as one writer put it, there is only one form of time travel that's available to us, and that is traveling into the future at 60 seconds per minute and 60 minutes per hour. Time marches on, whether we like it or not. And that means that time really is the most precious resource that we have, isn't it? Whether you are the most wealthy person in the world, the most powerful person in the world, you still have the exact same amount of time as the most uh, poor person and the least powerful. 24 hours in a day. Time is the great leveler, the great equalizer for all human beings. And the psalm that we're looking at this morning is all about this great theme of time. Specifically, it's about the God who we worship who is totally outside of time. Not like us, he he is without the confines of time that we live in. And so we'll be thinking about how different God is to us. He is all-powerful and outside of our world, outside of our time. And yet we, on the other hand, are so temporary. So three things that I want to look at briefly in this psalm. Firstly, God is eternal. Second, we are not. We are temporary. And thirdly, God has a rescue plan for us. So firstly, God is eternal. But before we look at this psalm in any great detail, it's worth asking the question, who was the author? Who wrote this psalm? And the answer is Moses, the very same Moses who led uh, the children of Israel out of captivity in Egypt. He is the one who wrote this psalm. And that's significant because of all the 150 psalms, this is the only one that is credited to Moses. We know many of the Psalms were written by David. We know many others were anonymous. It's possible that Moses wrote one or two or more of them. But this is the only Psalm that has Moses' name attached to it. And that's important because as we'll see, Moses really does write out of a sense of his own life experience. This is not a a dry, academic, abstract song that he's writing here. No, it's based upon his real life experience. And that's why he's able to say in verse 1, Lord, Lord, You have been our dwelling place in all generations. Now Moses knew this to be true. He uses this word dwelling place. We might think of the word home. And we all know uh, how important it is to come back home, maybe after a time of travel, of being away, or after a long day at work, and coming into that place of refuge and safety and stability. That is the picture that Moses is painting here of who God is. And he's not only the dwelling place once in a while, or maybe for a short period of time. Moses is saying, no, God, you are our dwelling place in all generations. Moses knew that to be true in his own life. He had witnessed God's faithfulness firsthand, didn't he, whenever God led the children of Israel out of Egypt. And not only that, but whenever Pharaoh's men were chasing the Israelites... Uh, and and were on their heels and and they were doomed to certain destruction, God in that moment saved them. He opened the Red Sea and, and led them safely through. And not only that, but whenever they were in the wilderness, God didn't leave them there to starve or to die of thirst. No, he provided manna from heaven and water from the rock. You see, Moses has example after example where he can say, yes, God, you are the faithful one. You are our dwelling place. But he doesn't just say, you're dwelling place for just me and my generation. No, he says all generations. As Moses flicks through the history books of Israel, he knows that God has been faithful time and time again. He knew that God was faithful to Abraham and Sarah whenever God created that covenant relationship and spoke to this couple who really thought they were way too old for children. And yet God says to them, I'm going to make your descendants like the stars in the sky. God's covenant faithfulness to Abraham. Years before Moses was even born. And in fact, years before Abraham, we have Noah. This man who gathers his family together. They get, they build this huge ark. And God shows his faithfulness to Noah and his family by saving them from certain destruction. For Noah, God was his dwelling place. And, and many years before that, we have Adam and Eve in the garden. Before Adam and Eve sinned and rebelled against God, God was their dwelling place, existing in this relationship of perfect love with God. And so Moses has no shortage of examples when he looks at his own life, but also when he looks through the history of Israel to see just how faithful God has been. Now we today live in a society that is absolutely obsessed with the new and the recent, don't we? We live in a culture of of 24-hour news where it seems like there's always another breaking news story of social media which is just so superficial and is always about the right here and the right now. We don't think much beyond the last 24 hours, never mind the last 24 centuries. And yet what Moses is saying here is that if you look back throughout history, God has been faithful to generation after generation. And that is the story of the church, isn't it? That over the last 2,000 years, God has been faithful to not only one generation, but generation after generation, saving them through the person of his son, the Lord Jesus. So that if you trust in Jesus for your salvation, God will save you and will rescue you. And, And actually, when you look at our lives and our generation, we are only just a tiny fraction of the history of God's faithfulness. God is the dwelling place throughout all of time for so many people. And he's able to do that because he is the creator and the Lord of time. He's totally sovereign over it. Verse 2 says this, Before the mountains were brought forth, wherever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. So what does this tell us? Well, it tells us that God exists uh, outside of of time, outside of space. He is not like us at all. We are so naturally confined to time, aren't we? We live our lives in terms of seconds and minutes and hours. It's so natural to us that actually it can be hard for us to comprehend the fact that God is so outside of time. We think in terms of time every single day. Just think about a typical work day. Let's say tomorrow morning. You wake up. And what's one of the first things you do? Well, If you're anything like me, you'll reach over and and check your phone or the clock beside your bed to see if you have enough time to maybe have a quick snooze before you get up. And then what happens when you get up? Well, you might check your emails and maybe you see an email from your boss that says, I want you to get that piece of work in this afternoon. That is your deadline. It's very time-bound. And then you get into work or maybe you have a very short commute. You go to your home office in your spare room. And as the working day goes on, you think it must be lunchtime. So you check your watch and you're absolutely gutted to find that it's only half eleven. You've still got a lot longer to wait until lunch. You see, our lives are just bound by time, aren't they? We think in terms of seconds and hours. But God isn't like us. Now verse 4 says this to the lord a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it's past so we can think about all of human history the last uh, even just the last thousand years you think about all of the achievements that human beings have done the great civilizations that they've built the inventions that they've come up with and this verse says all of that is like one day to god things that we think are so permanent that will last forever And yet, God says it's over in the twinkle of an eye. You see, God is outside of time, He is outside of our physical universe. And Moses here is really starting to set up this huge contrast between the eternal God on one hand and the very temporary human beings, all of us on the other hand. So, that leads us to our second point that we are temporary. We are temporary. Now, having dealt with this this idea that God is totally infinite, that he's beyond time, Moses then moves to look at the experience of all of us. And the first thing that he really highlights here is that God is sovereign not only over time itself, because he created it, but he's sovereign over human beings as well. And so we see here in verse 3, he says this, You return man to dust, and say, Return, O children, O children, of man. And it's really interesting that right back at the very beginning of the psalm, the very first word that Moses uses is this title for God. It's Lord in our translations. And Moses could have used many of God's different names. He could have used Jehovah, which means helper. But the word that he uses is Adonai, which means the sovereign one or the powerful one. And so even in the very choosing of God's name, what Moses is saying is, God, you are powerful. You are sovereign over all human beings. You are the one who says, I will bring you out of the dust, as he did with Adam, and to dust you shall return. Not only is time in God's hands, but our time is in God's hands. And Moses continues to build on this idea by using a series of different images that really highlight just how temporary Our lives are. He says this in uh, verse 5. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. So think about this idea, this image of a dream. Now for many of us whenever we have a dream, uh, I'm sure you can relate to a time when you've had a dream that was so vivid, it seemed real, that it actually seemed like real life. And then, of course, what happens is you wake up and immediately you recognize, oh, no, that was just a dream, (laughs) that this is real life right here and now. But in that moment, when you're having that dream, it seems so real, it's so vivid. And I don't know about you, but whenever you wake up from a dream, often, I I can't actually remember the details of the dream, even one or two or five minutes later. it, It becomes hazy and... And we forget the details. And what Moses is saying is, our lives here on earth are like that. They're like a dream that seems so real, but actually, after it's done, it's forgotten. You see, in the grand scheme of things, our lives really are just like that short lived dream. Compared to the God who is eternal, who is from everlasting to everlasting, our lives might seem long, but actually, Moses says, no, they are temporary. I was on a holiday a number of years ago in California, and I went to L.A., and one of the things that we saw in L.A. was called the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And it's basically just a very long pavement with a couple of thousand star shapes on the pavement, and in these stars, you have the names of lots of very famous celebrities throughout the years. So as I walked down the pavement, there were some names that I recognized. Samuel L. Jackson was there. Uh, Jack Nicholson was there, the Beatles were there, Johnny Cash was there, all of these stars from the worlds of uh, film and, and TV and music. But what I was really struck by was the number of names that I saw that I had absolutely no idea who they were, not a clue. And so I want to give you a little test this morning. I want to see if you can recognize any of these names. And if you can, there's no prize at the end, but you can have that sense of, of satisfaction with yourself that you know these names. So see if you recognize any of these names. Milton Burrow, Edgar Bergen, Marion Nixon, and Anna Nilsson. Now my guess is that if I was to ask for a show of hands, that probably none of us, or very few of us, would recognize any of those names. And yet in their day, all of these people were huge stars, huge actors who had had appeared in dozens of different films which were watched by millions of people and yet today their names are almost totally forgotten. You see, fame is so transient, isn't it? Their lives on this earth when they were appreciated by so many different people and yet all of that is temporary. It can seem so permanent, so real, so solid and yet what Moses is saying is true, isn't it? that our lives are just like a short-lived dream. Even if we achieve the greatest things in this life, celebrity and stardom and success, all of that will disappear and is temporary. And so Moses reinforces this point by using another image. He says that human life is like grass that is vibrant and healthy in the morning, but by the evening it fades and withers. Now Moses was writing at a time and in a culture a climate which was very uh, hot and dry, unlike ours, except for the two weeks in the middle of July. Uh, And so he was used to seeing grass that could grow and be very healthy for a short time, but whenever the heat of the sun bears down on it, it quickly fades and dies. That's what Moses is saying our lives are like, temporary and not lasting. But not only are they temporary, but Moses says they are are short-lived. They are relatively brief. Verse 10 says this, The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Now, roughly 3,000 years have passed between when Moses first wrote these words and uh, today. And obviously a lot has changed since then in terms of of modern medicine that's been developed and and so on. And, And yet that insight that Moses had is still true today. God's word is always true. Because the Office of National Statistics tells us that the average human lifespan in the UK is 81 years. And so what Moses is saying is, look, you get your 70 or your 80 years, and really that's it. Now, 80 years might seem like a very long time to a 20-year-old, but not to an 80-year-old. Our lives are short. Our lives are brief. And so it is true, as he says again here, Whatever period of life that we get, whether it's 30 years or 80 years, our lives are soon gone. How can we respond then to this? This fact that our lives are short and our lives are temporary. Well, Moses says in verse 12, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. So numbering our days means that we are recognizing really how precious our lives are, how precious our time is in the here and now. There was a nurse, a researcher called Bronnie Ware, who did quite an extensive study. She interviewed hundreds of different people, all of whom were on their deathbeds or close to dying. And she asked them, what are your, your top deathbed regrets? And her results were quite interesting. She came up with the top three uh, most common deathbed regrets, and they were this. Number one, people said, I wish I had the courage to live a life true to myself, not the life that others expected of me. Number two, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. And number three, I wish I had the courage to express my feelings. Now, one or two or all of them might resonate with you this morning, but I think the key thing about all of these regrets is the thing that, people had in common was that they realized just how precious their time was when they came to the end of their life and they're able to look back over their lives they recognize in that moment they've got this crystal clear perspective on just how precious their time is and what moses is saying in the psalm is look, you don't need to wait until your deathbed to have that clear perspective no true wisdom is numbering our days Recognising that life is temporary and short, and in light of that, then that changes our priorities, doesn't it? It means that we won't be as tempted to to just waste our time, but actually our priorities will be focused on God's priorities. You see, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus this morning, your priority and my priority should be to give our time and our energy, everything we have, to God, to to worship Him rightly and to recognize that our life is short. In the words of the missionary C.T. Studd, he said this, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. And so it's a sobering truth, but it's also a very helpful, practical piece of wisdom, isn't it, from Moses. to say you've got to recognize that your life is not permanent. Nothing will last forever. And your life is short. So focus on the really important things on serving and giving to the Lord Jesus. Maybe for some of us this morning, there's an opportunity to, to look back over our, our lives over the last month or even the last year and ask the question, am I really numbering my days rightly? Am I spending my time well, investing them in what God wants me to invest my time in? Or am I maybe frittering away my time in, in unimportant ways? Our lives are temporary. And then thirdly, God has a rescue plan. God has a rescue plan. Our lives are short, our time is fleeting, and that might sound, sound like just really bad news. We have our 70 or 80 years on this earth, and then we die. But thankfully, God doesn't just leave us there with that truth, but he also gives us this amazing hope, this wonderful good news. But before we get to the good news, we're going to have to briefly think about the bad news. And that's exactly what Moses does. He says this in verse 7. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. So here we find the psalmist talking about the reason why our lives are so short. It's no accident It's not just a coincidence, there's a real reason, and the reason is that we have rebelled against God, that actually our lives are brought short by God's wrath. Now, why is God angry against us? There must be a reason. Well, of course, we're told that in verse 8, you have set your iniquities, our iniquities before you. So it is our sin that has led God to cutting our lives short. And we know if you read through Genesis chapters 1 to 3, of course, you, you'll know the story of Adam and Eve, how the very first human beings existed in this wonderful, perfect relationship with God. But that wasn't enough for them. And they at one point said, look, God, you are the king, but we want to be the king. We, we want to live our lives the way we want to live them. And so they sinned against God, rebelled against him. And ever since that moment, sin and death came into our world. And actually, because all of us are descendants of Adam and Eve, we have followed in their footsteps and we've sinned against God. We've said, God, I want to take your place. And we've rebelled against Him. That is why Moses says, Our iniquities are before you. Not just His iniquities, not just His sin. So, this is the common human problem that we all have. And many people in our world today would say, Well, look, you live for 70, 80 years, maybe more if you're fortunate. But then you die and that's it. That's the end. But of course the Bible is very clear that no, there are only two options. Either you die and you spend eternity under God's wrath, separated from him. Or we die and we're rescued by God. And we're in Christ and we worship him forever. So that then leads us to the solution the good news. Moses says in verse 13 this. He says, return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love, that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. So you'll notice here that Moses recognizes how short, how temporary life is. And so then he cries out to God and he says, God, have pity on us. A better translation of this word pity would be have compassion on us. And that's exactly what God does. God in his infinite compassion doesn't just leave us To our own devices, but He sends His only Son, Jesus, into our world to live this perfect life that we should have lived, to die the death that we deserved to die. And He rose again, being victorious over sin and over death. And because God the Father poured all of His wrath onto Jesus, of course, that means that we no longer have to bear that cost. If you are a follower of the Lord Jesus this morning, you can say, along with Moses, God is my dwelling place. He is my refuge. Because through the Lord Jesus, we have been reconciled to God. This is the wonderful good news. That life doesn't just end after 70 or 80 years. Or even worse, life doesn't end and then we're under God's wrath forever. No, that through Jesus, we can be satisfied by God's steadfast love. So even though this happened, Uh, Many years after Moses wrote these words, what Moses is doing is pointing forwards to the faithful, steadfast love of God in Christ. And through that, we can have eternal life. Everything else in this life is temporary and will let us down. Whether we try to put our, our trust in our finances or our job or our comfort or our relationships, everything else will let us down. But God in Christ has shown us his steadfast love. So this morning, it's wonderful to think about the fact that God is eternal. He is from everlasting to everlasting, not like us. He is unchanging. And yet, we are so temporary, aren't we? Our lives are like a dream, they're like grass that rises up and then disappears. And yet, through Christ, we can have eternal life. In a moment, we're going to be spending some time around the Lord's table, considering who Jesus is and the fact that he died to take away our sins and to rejoice and praise him for that. So before we do that, let's pray. Father God, we thank you and praise you that in Christ we have this wonderful gift of eternal life. Lord, help us to number our days, to to recognize that our lives are so short, they are so temporary. And so only what is done for Christ in this life will last. Lord, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus, that through his death on the cross, we have eternal life. That because he died, we can live. And we rejoice in that this morning. Help us to be wise in the way that we invest our lives and our time for you and for your glory.